Down the Barrel starts now. Good evening, Swally Sweet here with the CUSF Down the Barrel uh, podcast and videocast. Um, with us tonight, not as usual as Dave the President, but we got Michael Stone joining us uh, with a brand new segment. We got uh, Mike Heineck from Alberta, field officer, and then we got Ryan, uh, who's going to be teaching us about barrels today. Uh, so first off, I want to give a quick shout out to our, our viewers and listeners, uh, but also to our sponsors, uh, Cabela's, Cabela's Outdoor Funds. Every time you round up at Cabela's, it goes to their outdoor fund, which helps programs such as ours. Uh, Beretta, uh, Beretta came on as a sponsor. Thank you very much for all the swag, Beretta. Uh, way to guilt people into buying guns, but whatever. Um, and then we have Vortex Optics. Uh, we had Reg from Vortex Canada on last episode. We really enjoyed having him here. Thank you much for, uh, for your sponsorship. And Stittsville Shooting Range. Thank you very much. Uh, now over to Michael Stone um, with a brand new segment. All right, guys. We're going to start this one off with a, a new segment. We're going to call the Market Update. Uh, we're going to discuss a new firearm on the Canadian market. And uh, a new one that's just coming out is just in dealer hands and not really even on the streets yet is the Vector 22 CRB. Um, so there it is. Um, I've seen them out as a pistol variant and as a rifle, um, which is quite unfortunate because we're only able to get 10 round mags for it in Canada. So I don't know who at Vector thought it would be a good idea to bring in pistol 22 vectors, but that's that's a thing. Um, so it's, it's kind of shocking to me that they're actually able to charge, or they think they can charge $1,000 for this 22,000 bucks. Good. Yeah. Um, I've seen them um, being sold right now for anywhere between like 700 to 1,000, um, just depending on the options in terms of like the forehand, that type of thing. Um, it's also it's just a straight uh, blowback 22, the whole vector concept with the angling recoil it is system. An unusual, it is an unusual design. It is. And in the nine millimeter or like in the center fire, it's mm -hmm. sort of innovative in its system that, um, you know, the, the bolt will drop down on an angle, sort of uh, vectoring the recoil um, downwards, um, which perhaps in full auto would make a difference. But in what we can get is pointless. Um, and it's even more pointless in that it's just 22 and there's no recoil at all. So how uh, long anybody else? On? Pardon me? Any idea how long the barrel is on that thing? Um, so I think they have a 16 inch and then I think also an maybe an eight inch or a nine inch, um, oh. pistol variant. Yeah. So I guess they have like a U.S. compliant one and then a shorter one they can bring into Canada. Um, hmm. interesting, but yeah, I think people are just so desperate to get their hands on anything these days. Um, that's what I'd we're getting that. into. <laughs> um, I'd buy one. You'd buy one? I would buy one. For double the price though of the, uh, the GSG though. That's what you're looking at. But but I already have a GSG. <laughs> Does exactly the, the same thing. You are exactly the person that gun is marketed. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> I want one. Is it good? I don't know. I just it's cool. I want it. Thousand yeah. bucks. Sure. Style style points count for something. Yeah. Right. That's a, it's a conversation starter. That's for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. That's right. All right. Well, that's about it. We can uh, move on with the show. Roll on. Well, it's, well, we got Mike here. Um, Mike, you're a field officer. You're in Alberta, correct? Well, Alberta, Saskatchewan. So I'm literally on the border. Okay. Saskatchewan well, like, is like a hundred yards that way. Like Lloydminster? No, hang on. Yeah, Lloydminster. Yeah, Lloyd, yeah. Right, right in Lloyd. Okay, cool. And what do you what do you do as a field officer for us? 
I'm trying to coordinate with uh, all the clubs together. I'm trying to get CRPS kind of brought into our neck of the woods so we clubs can have matches on their own. Nice. Work with any clubs that need me because I'm on the border. So if you need me, Saskatchewan side, Alberta side, I'll come. You guys help out with events or whatnot. I'm just here to help. Awesome. Uh, and to help us spend money, we got Ryan. Uh, Ryan, what is it you do and what is it your company does? <laughs> well, it's not my company, but I work for it. Okay. Uh, it's uh, International Barrels Incorporated. We make, uh, well, we make all kinds of barrels in, uh, in Canada, in-house. Mm -hmm um right from scratch so we get the bar steel we drill all the holes we do all the stress relieving we hone we hand lap all that good stuff and you guys end up with a sweet barrel in canadian dollars and doesn't take you eight months to get one no so, kidding this side of the border that's easy shipping yeah you know that was really a huge thing for me uh, before i started working for the company is if i wanted something that uh, it wasn't like something that people carried in stock and it had to come from the U S then, you know, the last barrel I ordered took nine months to get, really? it was an AR 15 barrel and it cost me almost 900 bucks. So I was like, this is ridiculous. Like why, why does it take that long? It can't take that long. So here we are. How long have you been with them? The company started almost four years ago and I got brought on. I guess about eight, eight to 10 months in something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, we were, we spent the entire first year tooling up and trying to figure out how to do it. Um, and wrecking a lot of steel in the process uh, until we got everything right. And yeah, that was it. But they originally brought me on because, uh, they had a guy that could deal with, the actual machining of the steel and the making the barrels and all the tolerances and all that stuff. But they didn't have anybody that knew anything about what to make or what the twist rates were or what the bore diameters were supposed to be, the different types of rifling, what was good, you know, what do people want? So mm -hmm. that's, that's why I got brought on. And then I got weaseled into doing sales and all the other stuff that goes along with it. So it was uh, up until last summer, it was pretty crazy. But. So what what's your background before this? Uh, well, I mean, I spent 23 years in the army. Mm -hmm. uh, I worked in the film industry as a weapons coordinator and a firearms nice. expert, mm -hmm. uh, armor, and I did lots of TV shows and features and traveled around the world a few times uh, doing different movies and stuff. Nice. Yep. And then, uh, uh, yeah, and then I left that and uh, went to IBI. And nice. here I am. A little off, little off topic, but any any movie scenes we might have seen that you're particularly proud of? Mm, well, I did The Revenant. I was the web coordinator on The Revenant. Uh, so that whole movie really is kind of the only thing that I would actually admit to being a part of for the most part. Uh, unless it involves Steven Seagal. I'll admit to those because I have lots of good stories as far as he goes. But uh, oh, nice. Uh, yeah, The Revenant was a, was a good one. Um, other movies I did, Shooter with Mark Wahlberg. Mm -hmm. uh, um, let's see, I did a movie called Sucker Punch. Um, I did a movie called Push in Hong Kong. I don't know. You can look on my IMDb page. There's lots of them. That's pretty cool to get to travel around like that. Okay, so circling back to, to this company then. 
Um, yeah. So you said you do sales with them as well. And so you were kind of the design behind it. And then the other guys, I'm guessing, are machinists? Yeah, basically, there's uh, there were three people originally, the owner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, uh, uh, the, like the shop manager, Tim, who is our barrel maker, he's our head barrel maker. He, he deals with all the machinery, sets everything up, gets the steel, um, and basically shows the, you know, the guys how to make what, uh, what we want. Then we have a, we have a few shop guys that deal with things like machining the profiles, um, uh, hand lapping, honing um stress relieving all that good stuff they deal with all that and then up until last summer the front end which was all the sales all the r d uh all the website uh all the uh customer service everything that was me Mm -hmm. so it was it was pretty crazy and then uh we hired a guy last summer and so now i have marco uh and he helps me out a lot and uh now we can start doing the videos and the, trying the new things that we were sort of going to try in the beginning that just kind of mm. got swept aside because we were too busy. I was too busy to make any of it happen. Nice. Well, social media is really the best way to advertise yeah. these days now. I mean, that's exactly yeah. why we started doing these podcasts. Yeah. I mean, the reality is, is probably, I would say at least 50% of our business comes in through, via social media. Mm-hmm. But you almost need a person just strictly to deal with the social media. It's so overwhelming that you almost need a guy, let alone all the sales and the customer service and then trying to R&D new stuff, uh, trying to do videos to explain what you're doing and and show people the results and have some fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot for sure. But we're getting there slow but sure. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Where are you guys based out of? We're in BC. We're out of Chilliwack. We are about five minutes down the road from MDT. And then uh, all the guys... MDT is Mission... Modular Driven Technologies. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the chassis company, the number one chassis company in the world. They they make a lot of really good chassis. Um, And then uh, we're just down the road from uh, Ultimatum Precision as well, which does... uh, uh, bit of a like, firearms district then it is a little bit chillwack is yeah. kind of like the, the western version of you know i don't know wherever else there's a firearms community i guess i guess it's yeah. the uh it's the bible belt of bc i'd say yeah it there is. you go yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i guess uh i guess uh religious folks like their guns yeah yeah some do anyway. uh, and do you guys have a storefront as well or is it strictly online no, we're online. We're manufacturing. We're not. Uh, we're not like a, a store. Okay. Any plans in the future or no? Nope. Okay. Too much over. No desire. Yeah. One more thing that I would have to deal with, and yeah. So you're you're very much the face of the company, then. I would imagine. Fortunately for them, yes. Okay. And what did you say you did in the army? Uh, I was a uh, recce crewman, so I was with the uh, British Columbia Regiment for twenty three. Oh, PCRs. Nice. Yep. But uh, most of my most of my time there was spent shooting at various events around the world, doing different stuff. So as you as you do, yeah. Um, and how? Okay, so I've got a question here. So you guys are yeah. fairly fairly young, four years old. Uh, what what was the drive behind starting this? Like, what's everybody else's background that decided to one day sit down and and create this company? 
Well, I mean, there was obviously uh, um, a real need for barrel manufacturer somewhere in Canada because, mm -hmm. like I said, you know, if it takes nine months to get a barrel from somewhere, there's somebody that can probably step in uh, with a barrel that's just as good and fill that void and uh, get it to the Canadian, well, get it to anyone really in a shorter amount of time. Mm -hmm. um, the guy that started IBI uh, also started MDT. So for a while there, we were connected, uh, but we've since gone our separate ways. We're still sister companies. We help each other out as much as we can all the time because it's a small community. And they have stuff that we need and we have stuff they need. So it works out really well. Um, so uh, after we split from MDT, uh, basically it was just it was just us and away we go. Any future projects from, from your boss there? None, none that I know of. I don't think mm -hmm. so. I mean, having a, a company the size of what we do is fairly complicated. So, you know, it's it's best to be really good at one thing than to be mediocre at a whole pile of different stuff. Yeah, true enough. So I prefer that we just focus on what we're doing and make that as good as we can. And then, you know, maybe if something happens in the future and we split off another company somewhere, I don't know, maybe. Won't be me doing it, though. Yeah. Yeah. I like barrels. So, well, that's a nice segue into what I was about to ask here. So your products is strictly barrels. Yep. Well, okay. I mean, we, we make some accessories that come with barrels, like mm -hmm. uh, muzzle brakes. Um, what else do we make? Barrel uh, nuts. Yeah, nuts. barrel nuts and barrel wrenches for prefits and stuff like that yeah and and for which guns do you do this what like what do you guys have uh on your runs well i mean you know in stock we we make um well well that was i was actually going to be another question but we might as well feel that one now uh okay. do you guys manufacture per order or do you guys carry a stock we do carry stock in some stuff uh, okay. like part of the precision rifle community is uh, guys that want to have specific gunsmiths build their stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's awesome uh, because mm -hmm. we can just provide the blank, which I try to carry in stock as much as I can uh, so that we don't have that six to eight months wait that you generally get for a blank from some of the other manufacturers. So mm -hmm. uh, if somebody uh, calls us up and says, hey, do you have a six millimeter MTU and a seven and a half twist in stock? I go in the back, I have a look. Yep, I got it. Okay, I'll take it, and it goes in the mail the same day or the next day or whenever the next mail run is going out, um, mm -hmm. and you have it in your hands in a, a much shorter time than what you would if you ordered one from somewhere down in the States. Oh, 100%. Like if I mean, I, that, that, sorry, that, go ahead. That kind of goes for the States, too. Like I have uh, gunsmiths down in the States that say, I don't want to wait eight months to get a barrel from even the guys down there. So they phone us up. Hey, do you have this in stock? Yeah, I got it in stock. Okay, good. We, we ship across the border once a week, so you know you're waiting a week at least anyway. Hmm. But after that, it's it's in your hand quick and dirty. Cool. Uh, okay, so back to what I was asking. Sorry, did you have something? Oh, sorry. Uh, so back to what I was saying earlier. So which guns do you guys make barrels for? Or is it... Um... Well, we make lots of blanks, and mm -hmm. we also make uh, prefits for uh, Remington's, Savage's, Tika's, uh, I make uh, barrels for AIs. I make barrels for impacts. Uh, pretty much any high-end action that you 
uh, can think of, I, I can make a barrel for it. No problem. Desert tech. I make desert tech barrels. What's, Very what's cool. the, what's the turnaround on say if somebody wanted a custom job that you typically not do, what would yep. be like, what would be the longest somebody could expect to wait on one of your products? Maybe four weeks, maybe a bit longer if it's super complicated or if it's uh, like say maybe a carbon fiber barrel that we have to sort of re-engineer things for a little bit or, or reprogram the machines for, mm -hmm. you might wait six weeks maybe, but Generally speaking, if you order a prefit or if you send us your action to get chambered up, you're going to have it back in three to four weeks. That's decent. Yeah. Um, yep. So what, what kind of a person would, would uh, need to buy an off-to-market barrel? Well, as you probably know, uh, factory barrels can be a little bit on the hit and miss side. Sometimes they're awesome. Shooting joke there. What's that? It's a shooting pun there. Was it? Hit, hit, hit miss. Come on. Oh, I didn't even. I sorry. didn't even go there. Nice work. Okay. Sorry. Um, yeah, they sometimes they can be great, and sometimes they can be pretty lousy. Uh, so, not only that, but there's there's other issues with factory barrels, and one of them is the liability factor. So, when they get chambered up, they basically have to be chambered with reamers that allow for a lot of different types of ammunition, different lengths. They have to be a little bit on the looser side, have a longer throat, so that if you feed something in there that you probably shouldn't be feeding in there, mm -hmm. uh, it it may still shoot okay and you'll be safe. That's great for liability, but it's not great on the, in the accuracy department. So what we can provide is a barrel that has a lot more care and attention paid to it. Uh, the tolerances are a lot tighter. The uh, chambers are better. Um, and... You know, just in the end, they just they just shoot better. They're not pumped out on a machine. Every single one is hand touched and lapped and expect, uh, inspected a couple of times to make sure that it's good to go. And so, usually, you end up seeing that on the paper. Uh, in the mm -hmm. end, plus if you're looking for something like, say, Habitica, and you want to turn it into a caliber they don't offer, well, hey, Bob's your uncle or IBI's your. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, We'll, we'll be able to do it for you, no problem. Or if you want a different length that they don't offer, or you want to do something with an action that somebody hasn't done before. Say you want to shoot F-Class with a Seiko action. Sure, send it to us. We'll we'll slap a barrel on there for you and get you rolling. No problem. Do you guys have uh, like varying, I don't know how to phrase this, probably like degrees of barrel? Like say, like I shoot a Savage Mark II. So do you yeah. guys have like a basic model, a little bit of higher end model, a nicer one? Nope. Or? nope. It's we, all sa same steel, same everything. We everything. ventured into that market a little bit, and it was a mm -hmm. giant headache. And uh, we don't want to be known as a company that makes some so-so barrels and some really good barrels. Mm -hmm. We just want to be the company that makes the really good barrels. So we don't our, – even our OEM barrels that we do for manufacturers all get all the same processes that our precision rifle barrels get. Uh, our 22 rimfire barrels, our AR-15, well, when we could shoot AR-15s, uh, the AR-15 barrels had all the same processes applied to them as the precision rifle barrels, and they shot, well, I mean, you know, really well for some people. And so, uh, yeah, every, we only make one level of barrel. That's it. Well, that's commendable. Yeah. Well, that so. make, makes, well, it makes sense when you, when you explain it like that. 
Yeah. Uh, what, what kind of a difference could somebody expect to see in shooting, like uh, percentage wise or, or, or inches over yards or whatever? Is well, there a remarkable think, difference? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, if you're talking about uh, shooting at 100 meters, the average, I would say the average factory barrel in a, in a, in a reasonable um, action with a reasonable barrel on it, like say a Remington 700 police, which is kind of the benchmark uh, there for a while. Uh, as far as 308s go in factory guns, they shot about three quarters of a minute with federal gold metal match. So if you pull that off and you put one of ours on, you're probably going to shrink that by about a quarter of an inch, depending on how good a shooter you are and you know what you're, what you're doing. And of course that magnifies the further out you go. And we've had some guys with hand loads, some crazy stuff that I don't know how they did it, but they, they did. And, you know, We've got some groups that are in the point ones and point twos uh, sent to us on a pretty regular basis. So I don't know. I don't shoot groups at all, but there are a lot of guys out there that can. Yeah. No. Well, we had uh, we had the guys on from uh, First Vocal Plane a couple of episodes ago, and they do some pretty elaborate stuff. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Is anybody else hearing some background noise here, or is that just me? A bit. Yeah. Yeah, I can hear it. Somebody got kids or TV on in the background. My kid's upstairs, but he's got headphones on. That's weird. I can't. I can't tell what I'm hearing. I'm just hearing something. Ghost. Ghost. Is it? Is it me breathing? I've had problems with this mic before. It's super sensitive. No, it's, it's more than breathing. Well, it sounds better now. What is that? Seriously. I don't know. <laughs> Well, let's roll. Um, where was I? Okay, barrels. All right. So, uh, are you interested in talking prices, any? Because I'm kind of curious. Sure. Like, yeah. what would what would a what would a barrel cost? So, if you want a blank, they run about four sixty nine and up, mm -hmm. depending on the options that you want to get on there. Um, you can have now for for a newer shooter, a relatively yeah. inexperienced. I I've said in previous episodes, I I've shot for the government. They yep. give you, they hand you what you shoot, and that's it. From the civilian market, I'm still quite green. Mm -hmm. What is a blank versus what is a finished barrel? Sure. Yeah, What's so the a difference? Blank, a blank is just basically a barrel that has the bore cut into it. It's lapped. It's honed. It's stress-relieved. It's got the rifling of the particular twist rate that you're after, uh, but it has no chamber, mm -hmm. and it has no muzzle uh, threads or anything like that, so... It's just a, uh, a pipe, basically, with a hole down the middle of it with the rifling in it, mm -hmm. which your gunsmith will then uh, uh, cut the chamber into. He'll thread it, fit it on your action, headspace it, you know, uh, and maybe crown it up or put a muzzle brake, uh, thread the thread the muzzle end for muzzle uh, muzzle threads, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's and, a then, and then a, a finished barrel is what? Yeah, so... Uh, well, you got a couple options. You can send us your whole uh, gun, and we'll fit it onto your action in a shoulder manner, which is what a standard action comes with. Uh, and I think by the end of that, you're looking at probably about almost 900 bucks with muzzle threads chambered up and ready to roll, take it to the range kind of idea. If you want to add length on there, you can. If you want to add spiral fluting on there, you can. There's lots of other options uh, to go and you get a there's a huge variety of different uh, profiles. So you can have some that are really thick, super heavy ones. You can have ones that are really thin and light for hunting. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Yeah. You bet. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, so just to sum up, so between five five hundred for a blank, up to about a grand, just shy of. Yeah, I mean four sixty nine. You can get a uh, a basic unfluted blank for four sixty nine. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's decent. Yep, and then um, I mean, you know, if you want a barrel for an AI or a Desert Tech or any of those, we can do them, but they cost a fair bit more. They're usually around the twelve to fourteen hundred dollar sort of mark, but that's fully chambered and fit on your gun and everything else. So. And good to go. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Um, yeah, uh, that's most of my questions already, actually. Anybody got anything? Um, I could jump in. A um, little tactical question. Uh, actually, about how you guys uh, cut your rifling. Um, you guys are you running like a cut rifling or like a button rifling? What um, What do you guys do? Yeah, so we're, we're button rifling. OK. Uh, we did in the very beginning of the company have a cold hammer forge, uh, but it was about a five hundred thousand dollar paperweight, so we got rid of it. And sorry, five hundred thousand. Yep. Jesus, and you make this money back? No. Oh. All right. <laughs> Some of it, not all of it though. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, it was better for us to focus on the button right uh, in the beginning. Hammer forging is a is a neat thing, but um, it's mainly it's it's mainly done for uh, military type contracts, and military contracts want a barrel that shoots when you put a bullet in it and impacts within a certain group size at X number of meters. Right? They don't really care if it's super precision oriented. They want it to last a number of rounds, and they want it for like 120 bucks. So that was not a market that I cared to venture into. In the beginning, they kind of thought maybe that might be something, but it wasn't. It, it just not worth the amount of money because you still have to drill. You still have to hone. You still have to hand lap. Uh, you still have to do all that stuff to the barrel. You still have to stress relieve it properly. So really, uh, you know, for the amount of money that you, know, you can get for it, it just wasn't. Maybe for our audience, you could explain the difference between uh, cold hammer forge and button. Yep. So uh, there's there's four types of rifling now. Uh, the simplest is button rifling, in which you drill the hole, and you basically you pull a button through the hole that has the twist rate cut into the button. You spin the barrel at a certain twist rate, and it imparts that twist rate into the steel on the inside. You have to make sure the barrel is all lubed up on the inside. And you get the, the rifling imparted into the steel in one pull. It takes about 25 seconds. It's very, very smooth uh, when you pull the button through there because you're basically swaging steel. But one of the downsides is you have to really stress relieve the barrels super well after that because you're pushing steel into other steel. It doesn't actually cut anything out. It just moves the steel out of the way and gives you that rifling. Uh, so as long as you have good stress relieving processes, uh, it, it shoots great. So that's basically what we're doing. The other major way is uh, cut rifling, and that's with a single point cutter. And it, it takes probably about an hour per barrel, roughly. It's all computer controlled, and it's basically a cutter that gets stuck down the barrel, and it basically cuts out a scrape that's maybe a, a tenth thou deep uh, per pass. It's probably a bit more than that. And it takes about an hour to do it because it has to cut all 
all the different uh, rifling. So if you're shooting a 5R, it has to cut five grooves in there. It has to cut in the proper profile. And because you're actually sort of scraping out steel as you go, the hand lapping process afterwards or honing uh, is mega important um, to making sure that on a microscopic level, that single point cutter, uh, the roughness that it imparts into the barrel gets uh, lapped out by hand lapping. Otherwise, you're going to be collecting jacket material like crazy in there. Uh, so the good thing about single point cutting is it doesn't impart much in the way of stress into the barrel because you're taking out a very finite amount of uh, steel every time you, you cut it. And so the stress relieving, I mean, it, you're still going to stress relieve it anyways, but people think that you can just take it and off you go on a way, you know, it's, it's much better because it doesn't have any stress in it. Well, I'm pretty much guarantee they stress relieve after they, after they single point cut it as well. Maybe not, maybe I'm completely wrong, but that would be my, my guess. Uh, so we have button rifling, we have single point cutter, we have a cold hammer forge, which you see in Europe a lot. Um, uh, Lothar Walther barrels uh, make uh, a lot of uh, cold hammer forge barrels. Um, if you shoot um, uh, C7s, uh, Colt Canada, Demaco, they're all cold hammer forged. Uh, Glock, pretty much all Glock barrels are cold hammer forged. And so what that is is a piece of steel that gets a hole drilled in it. And that steel basically gets compressed around a mandrel is probably the easiest. It's got hammers that come on it and they're like bang, 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 bang. As the barrel's getting fed through, the hammers are, are basically squishing it down. So it has a couple of benefits. Uh, as you work hard in the steel, it gets a little bit harder. So you might get a slightly harder bore, definitely a harder outside. So you may get a bit more life out of it. Um, but yeah, it's it's a massive, huge machine, and it quite honestly, it doesn't really save any time. And you never really see uh, cold hammer forged barrels in North America, at least, anyway, sort of at the at the top levels of the game. So if you look at uh, the guys that are winning stuff in either uh, F class, uh, bench rest, target rifle, uh, PRS, uh, even even with AR stuff like uh, high power. None of it's really cold hammer forged barrels yet. So the uh, the fourth way is electrochemical um, barrel making, and that's basically almost like wire EDMing, and that's becoming a thing. Although I haven't seen it yet. Um, You're talking but, about actually like depositing metal down to to form the barrel. Yeah. So they run, wow. they, run they run a wire. It's the steel's all drilled and everything, and and lapped on the inside. They run a wire in there, and somehow there's an electrode that uh, imparts uh, erosion into the barrel, and that's what cuts out the lansing grooves. Oh, wow. Right. Holy it's, shit. It's, it's a new thing. It's, it's, I saw it at SHOT Show, I think, about two years ago. Uh, it's a new thing. How they shoot, I don't know. Probably pretty, pretty good. You would think that it would be kind of a neat idea, but yeah. I can imagine the setup for it is insanely expensive. That sounds kind of slow too. I'd imagine. I would think so. Yeah, yeah I, would, I would think so. There must be some weird benefit to doing it that way, though. If well, we I guess already so have the three. stress relieving is one thing, and probably yeah. the smoothness of the inside of it uh, after might cut down on your hand lapping time and all that. 
mm-hmm. as well, but I don't, I'm not sure to be honest with you. That sounds right. like something that would be open to like mass produced barrels only. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Not sure. You said, you said this, the, what did you call it? The cold, cold forging? Cold hammer forge. Yep. Cold hammer forging. You said that was more for, for bulk military applications. It is. Yeah. 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 So maybe that, maybe this is a, slightly cheaper version for that yeah it's possible yeah for sure yep Mm. yeah so those are the those are the four types of rifling that are basically being employed these days uh button rifling is probably the most common uh we do it benchmark does it um and there's a, a pile of other companies in the states that do it and around the world um it's it's the easiest and it it shoots great. As long as you pay attention to uh, the process, the button rifle barrels uh, shoot just as good as the cold hammer or the uh, uh, cut rifle barrels. Mm-hmm. People will tell you it's untrue, but not. I've shot them all, and I can tell you from experience that it shoot just as good. And that would be uh, your best cost-to-benefit cost to, cost to benefit ratio as well for the average consumer, I would imagine, as well. I think so, yeah. You know, you're probably going to pay a bit more money for uh, for a cut-rifled barrel just because of the amount of time that it takes mm-hmm. to, to actually construct it. So, yeah, whatever. If, you know, I just – people just shoot whatever makes them feel comfortable and confident, right? If cut-rifled barrels are your thing – awesome carry on uh if button rifle's good carry on it's good you know mm-hmm. people with cut rifle barrels get beat by people with button rifle barrels all the time and the other way around so once you get to that point it's all you know it's about the driver not the not the stick shift mm-hmm. absolutely so um so i had a question about one of your products um yeah. so i noticed you guys are uh, selling carbon fiber barrels now yeah um, so for a long time, I mean, proof research was kind of the company that at least in my mind sort of put that out there and yep. I don't know if they were the first ones in the market, but they were the ones that really blew it up. Yeah. Now you guys are doing it too. Yep. Um, was that sort of inspired by proof or how did that, how did that go? Well, I mean, carbon fiber barrels are kind of a neat thing. Um, so we looked into it and we thought, yeah, you know what, maybe we should, maybe we should take a crack at it and see, see how it does. So we, we went and we bought a bunch of carbon fiber barrels and shot them all, torture tested them to see what they would do. And we decided that we were not going to spin the carbon fiber on like proof does. Uh, we're going to do it a different way with a wrap instead of a, a thread. Hmm. So, which was kind of unfortunate because we had bought all the equipment to spin the threads. Well, but, I actually, I had no idea how you guys um, actually put the carbon down. That's very interesting. So you buy like a, a roll of it, I suppose, and then just sort of twist it. Not really, no. It's laid over a uh, it's laid over a precision ground mandrel. I'm not going to get too into how we do it because it's kind of like okay. proprietary, yeah. But yeah, yeah, and so it's it's a it, it's a super tight fit on the steel. Very cool. Yeah, something different. The reality of it is, is uh, you're going to get about a 30 to 40% weight savings on from a, the same profile in steel to the same profile in carbon. So we have a new one that's a carbon fiber MTU, which is pretty heavy. But uh, in steel, it weighs a little over seven pounds, just the barrel blank by itself. 
and carbon fiber it weighs uh, just slightly over four. So you're chopping like three pounds off the barrel. Um, and you, you know, if you're like a long range hunter, that's probably what you want to look at. Um, is there any trade off or are you giving up anything by going to a carbon fiber? Yeah. I mean, you know, if you go to carbon fiber, uh, and you pump like 20 or 30 shots through it, you will see your point of impact move a little bit. It doesn't matter whose carbon fiber barrel it is. It's going to move. The groups are likely going to stay the same. But uh, your point of impact is probably going to shift a little bit. And so we tested a bunch of different things and we found a way to do it where there's very little uh, impact shift at all. And so. So it's it, effectively you're shooting a smaller profile barrel. You are. You, going to... it, it, yeah, it's, it's mainly weight saving. So the, it's still a steel liner on the inside. Um, and the steel liner by itself shoots very well. Uh, we tested that and then you wrap the carbon fiber over top to increase the stiffness. Um, it's just win-win altogether. So that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, you betcha. All right, Mike, you have any questions? Oh, oh we yeah. can't hear you. Oh, Mike, so. can you hear me now? All yeah. Right. Here you go. I was going to ask you exactly what Mike asked about how you get carbon fiber barrels on steel and how they are with the heat dissipation all that stuff, fun stuff. So carbon fiber is an interesting phenomenon with steel. You get a bazillion different people telling you all kinds of different things like, oh, it's a heat sink and it bleeds off the steel because they feel cool on the outside when you've shot a long string through the gun. It's not how it works. Unfortunately, there's still heat there. It's just it's, under it's, the it's carbon an fiber. Yeah. Oh. The, the heat is under the carbon fiber in the steel. Hmm. So as far as uh, cooling quickly and stuff like that, I think probably a fluted steel one is probably a, uh, a faster cooling thing. Uh, uh, but it's also faster to heat up straight steel fluted. Uh, and then straight steel unfluted takes a long time to heat up, but then it takes a long time to heat down or to cool down. Mm -hmm. right. Now, do you ever run into an issue um, in terms of like with the steel and the carbon having different expansion rates. Um, so pushing into each other or contracting. I haven't know. run into any issues with that yet. Um, okay. I guess the temperatures just aren't high enough, I suppose. To Well, we ran them pretty high to the point where we made somebody else's barrel almost light itself on fire. Um, <laughs> not ours. Ours didn't light on fire. But then again, okay. we went through probably four or five different resins to find one that was... Uh, reasonable enough that it could take a lot of heat and not have any sort of breakdown. Um, so that was, we killed a fair bit of carbon and steel doing that. I bet you can imagine. Yeah. So that's like something you'd want a uh, full auto to test. <laughs> yeah. That would have been good. If it was allowed, I would have been all, uh, you no know, hundred rounds of 308 in six minutes. We'll probably sort that right out. Hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. But yeah, no, no issues with expansion of anything. Um, carbon fiber, I'm not even sure if it expands. Steel will a little bit, but you can kill a lot of that with your stress relieving processes. So you can right. sort of equalize the steel and, and make it so that it doesn't really have much reaction at all, if any. Okay. Yeah. I got a question here from uh, Mr. Wamfat himself. Uh, <laughs> what, are Ryan, what are Ryan's thoughts of shooting out a 22 uh, barrel? 
Well, I think you could probably do it. It's going to take you probably three lifetimes to do it, but it could be done. No, I don't know. You know, like uh, I would, I would keep an eye on the accuracy end of things. Uh, I think you probably could, but lead is really soft and steel is really hard in comparison. So like my CZ last year, I put over 10,000 rounds through it. Jesus. Hasn't, hasn't had any kind of issues with shooting out. I guess really the only way to test it would be to shoot the crap out of it um, and then clean it and shoot the crap out of it again and sort of see how it shoots at the same amount of ammunition as, you know, a certain time. So do the test at a thousand rounds, clean it completely out, shoot a thousand rounds through it again, and then do the same test over and see if it, uh, if it degrades at all. My suspicion is it probably won't. I think there's probably lots of other factors like, carbon rings and and uh, wax buildup and stuff like that that you really need to pay attention to uh, uh, cleaning them out wise. So that would, my uh, eventually you're going to wear it out. Something's going to happen and something's going to go funky, but I, I haven't got there yet. Maybe John Gingrich can get there and shoot 17 million rounds through his his gun. <laughs> that, that works. That's I every time I hear every time I have a guest on and talk about twenty twos, there's yeah. nothing but benefits. It's like ten thousand rounds that's like fifty bucks a twenty two. <laughs> I know. I love that caliber. There's another right. question from there's another question from Rod, and I'm reading it for the listeners later on. Uh, I've put tens and tens of thousands of rounds of CCI mini mags through his nineteen seventy five ten twenty two barrel. No issues. Yeah. Yeah, it's not really a surprise. It'd be kind of neat to be able to quantify what no issues is though. Like you know, take a new barrel, shoot 500 or 1,000 through it to season it up. Then shoot the crap out of it. Shoot 10,000 rounds, shoot 20,000 rounds through it, whatever. Then completely strip it out down to bare metal and then season it again with another 500 rounds or another 1,000 rounds so that you get sort of back to that precise zone that you want the, where it shoots really good. And then look at the group sizes. But, I mean, who's got the money to do that? Like, Or the time. Right, I was like, gonna say fucking yeah. time. Yeah, it'd be it'd be brutal. I mean, the this fast twist twenty two barrel has been ongoing for us since mid September, and I'm still not quite finished yet. Hopefully, this coming weekend I'll finish it up, and then things will will get on. So, yes, let's talk about that uh, fast yeah. twist twenty twos. So, yeah. uh, in terms of what the traditional rifling spin would be, what are you guys doing? So the standard twist rate in 22s over the last, I don't know, 50 years or 60 years has been 1 in 16. Uh, somebody asked me on the on the uh, uh, Rimfire Nation podcast why that was so, and I think the answer is that because that was sort of an Olympic kind of thing where 50 meters was as far as they shot with the 22s, and they needed it to perform very well at 50 meters and nothing more. So I think it was probably... I think the barrel lengths and the twist rate were sort of incorporated in there so that they knew that if it was a 24-inch 1 and 16 barrel, they would get this uh, velocity out of it using this ammo and that it was capable of shooting these teeny little groups, right? Well, along comes us, and here we are. We're shooting our rimfire guns to, well, I don't know, some of you crazy buggers out east are shooting them to 500, 600, 7,000 meters. Like, come on. Nobody thought of that, like, 
even probably 10 years ago, people would be like, nah. I still Quick shout out to Wamfat to Matthew here. He's got a video on YouTube of him doing a thousand with his Does he? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, I still, you know, I go when I was going to the range, I would go there and I'd put up like a six or an eight inch gong at like three hundred meters and I'd be pounding it with my twenty two. And you get guys and they'd wander over and they're like, What are you shooting there? Twenty two long rifle? Where's your target? Is that three hundred meters? They're like what? And it's like they think it's a 25 meter or 50 meter mm-hmm. thing, right? But now that we're pushing the limits on it and we're really exploring how far they can go and how much fun they are, um, we thought that it would be a good idea to play around with some other twist rates to see if we could improve the performance at all at those extended distances that people hadn't really explored twist rates for. I mean, there are some other barrel companies that make some different twist rates for it, and that's cool. You know, more the merrier, really, but we wanted our own to be kind of special, so. Gotcha, so as you go to a further length, it's uh, advantageous, you're saying, to have a faster twist rate. Um, Not necessarily. Not necessarily, so there's a limit at some point, I would guess. There is. There is definitely yeah. a, a zone where uh, uh, you lose so much velocity that uh, the gain of the stability of the faster twist rate is um, uh, you're losing everything that you're gaining. So there's no point. Right. So gotcha. we found that, uh, we, well, first off, we were going to run a, uh, a one in nine twist and a one in uh, 12 twist. So we started out with both guns at 26 inches and we started shooting them. Uh, we shot them at 50, 100, 200, and 300. We didn't go any farther than 300 just because it's impossible to find a range out here. You got to do it in the bush. And that leaves a lot of factors out. And then, uh, so uh, as we tested, uh, the, the 12 right off the get-go was doing some impressive stuff. So we're like, oh, this is interesting. Maybe as we cut back the nine uh, from 26 inches, uh, it it will improve because there are people that claim that the nine is the way to go. And we're like, okay, well, we'll try. We'll see. We'll see how it works. So we played with it and it became clear by the time we sort of got to the 22 inch zone, the 20 inch zone that the nine just wasn't, it's, it's three times the amount of spin drift at 300 meters over a one and 16 twist. So uh, when you combine that amount of spin drift with uh, wind coming in from sideways, you're imparting a lot of extra shenanigans onto your projectile to fight through that stuff. And with the nine, what we found was that even if there was a little bit of wind, the flyers were further outside the group uh, than they were with the 12. The 12 the kind of seemed to pull the flyers in a little bit. So mm-hmm. you still had flyers, and those are all ammunition-related. But the flyers were closer to the center group than uh, they were uh, with the 9-twist or with the 16 for that once once you get past 200 meters. Right. And you're talking about issues with lateral dispersion? Uh, no, vertical. Oh, vertical dispersion. Okay, yeah. that's interesting. So we didn't, we didn't test any like in the about the probably the six or seven thousand rounds that Alex Sherwood and I shot when we were testing because I didn't do this all by myself. Uh, 
we I don't think we ever adjusted for wind. So we let the the groups grow uh, horizontally, but we tried to keep everything as tight as possible uh, vertically. And the vertical was really more what we were interested in. You can make a shitty wind call and that's just you. That's not necessarily the barrel. So we wanted to see sort of how they would hold, you know, uh, horizontally. So what we found with the 12 twist was that the flyers were closer to the center of the group. We shot all 15 shot groups. So there were no three shots, no five shots, no 10 shot groups. Three and five is useless. 10, you're starting to get there, but still kind of useless. 15, you kind of get an idea as to uh, what the barrel can actually do at 15. You know, really, you should probably shoot like a 20 or a 25 shot group, but there's time and ammunition limitations and all that stuff as well. So we just settled on 15 shot groups. That'll give you a good idea. And yeah, we... With the 12 twist, we saw that the flyers seemed to be closer to the center of the group than uh, than they were with the 16 twist or the 9 twist, especially the 9 twist. It would throw some really crazy flyers every once in a while um, hmm. yeah, that, you know, were uncalled. But, you know, unfortunately, we did dabble a little bit in weighing ammunition, and unfortunately, it makes a difference. Uh, I'm sure filling really? rim thickness makes a lot of difference, but... I just don't have time to go there. So take Getting it out the calipers bit. and uh, sorting your ammo. That would be a year's worth of research right there. And then oh, trying to figure yeah. that out for every type of ammunition and blah, blah, blah. So we, we just took some SK rifle match and we shot some that was just fresh out of the box. And then Alex actually weighed a bunch of them. Didn't sort any rims or anything like that, but just weighed them. And it seemed to weed out the flyers a little bit more. So that, uh, that seems to be a thing, which is interesting. Uh, but yeah, so the the 12 twist is what we, we went with, and it shoots good. I think uh, past that 200-meter wall, you'll see some market improvement with the 12 twist over a 16. Now, that's not to say that you, a 16 won't shoot as good. I mean, you can, you can have a 16-twist barrel that is a humdinger from somewhere. It could be a factory barrel. Like we we were testing Bergera B14, the thing shot awesome. Like it shot really good out to about 200, 220 meters. Then the one in twelve sort of took over, and I don't know if that has anything to do with uh, the the quality of the barrel, but I think some of the production factors that go into it at that point, like uh, the chamber and the uh, lapping and stuff like that, probably start to take over. And we saw that the Standard deviation over 25 shots to 50 shots on our 12 twist was much lower than it was in the Bergera factory barrel. Hmm. Okay. So I think I think that's a, a good takeaway for guys as well is that uh, you you're probably going to center more shots in the center of the group. You're still going to have flyers. You're still going to have to do your homework with ammo, uh, but you're probably going to also see uh, a better SD. Um, than what you're going to find in a factory barrel uh, over over a given length. So, all right. And we also found that the uh, the 12 twist really started to perform at uh, uh, 22 inches, and right now it's currently at 18 inches. I chopped it back. So the way we did this was we started at 26, we shoot it at 50, 100, 200, 300, then we cut two inches off, then do it all over again. 
and there were days when it was so freaking cold that we were all shivering and you know it was crazy and so we would shoot some and we'd be like i don't know i can't concentrate can you know so that that day was wasted you know we'd burn through you know 500 or a thousand rounds and then it would just be like oh my god i can't i can't deal with the cold because in bc zero degrees is really not much fun to be out there and because it's probably raining at the same time and yeah. that wet cold cuts through all your oh, it's to it's to the bone <laughs> it is it doesn't matter how much you you wear it's it's different than when you're in the prairies and it's dry and you can bundle up good to go so there were days when it the whole testing shit the bed because it was just too cold and we i've got a i've got a uh, compliment here from um from rico he said it's nice to see you guys are still looking into continuous improvement and pushing the current yeah. limits keep it up yeah thanks he yeah, also followed up he also followed up with a question okay it'd be, it'd be interesting to see similar efforts in the pistol caliber barreled rifles as well any appetite for looking into that sort of adventure we could uh but there has to be a market for it so you know you get one guy that wants to explore uh uh, a, a one in six nine millimeter barrel well we could do it but it's gonna be bloody expensive it'd be on his dollar so, then to, to develop that yeah i mean there's there's a lot of costs involved in tooling up a new caliber mm -hmm. let alone tooling up uh, more twist rates and all that kind of stuff so we we run a sun and 1600 barrel home it's the only one in canada the tooling cost per caliber is about 15 to seventeen thousand dollars us just for the home now that doesn't include any drills doesn't include any buttons doesn't include steel doesn't include anything so in order for us to proceed with a new caliber uh it's it's costly and there has to be value to it uh, for us mm -hmm. so we do have a couple new ones coming uh we're going to be testing 270 next and also 25 calibers so those of you that are Sniffing around the 25 Creedmoor zone. Yep, we're going to have barrels for it right there. 257 Roberts for you hunters. Yep. Yep, probably by hunting season, I think the, they should both be operational. I think maybe just touch on that. What's, what's the latest uh, hotness in uh, PRS that everybody wants a barrel for? What's the... Seems like, like every year there's a hot... Caliber? caliber? Yeah, like, what's the hot new caliber in your mind? Well, so I think once a little more stuff is available for 25 Creedmoor, that one will take off pretty pretty well. I think it's, yeah. it's in between six and six and a half. So there's some, I think the holdup before was that there was not a real lot of good match bullets available. So now there's starting to be some. So that's probably going to take off. Uh, but as far as PRS goes, the, the hot stuff is all still the six mils right now. Um, Six Creedmoor is good. Six by 47 Lapua is good. Uh, what else we got? Uh, 6XC, super popular. And then the smaller six mils are, are more popular now too. So you have the, the BR cased, uh, uh, the BR based cases like six Dasher, six yeah. BR Norma, six BRX, six BRA. There's probably a whole pile that I missed there. The six GT. That's kind of in between the the small six mils and the sort of medium sized six mils, like the six Creedmoor. So that one's gaining popularity. Uh, so we'll probably see some of those. 
Uh, they're all very cool. The one thing I've heard about some of those uh, smaller six mils, though, I mean, they have a very steep shoulder. So you're kind of yeah. running into issues with um, like not feeding well with magazines. Again. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the mags have to be designed specifically around those. And I know MDT came out with some mags that seem to work pretty well for the BR based uh, steep shouldered cases. Uh, and they're also shorter because you don't need the full size uh, magazine. So it's got, I think if I remember correctly, it has like a stopper in the back. So the okay. actual round sits in the right spot on the feed lips. So it feeds properly and away you go. Oh, that's a very cool innovation. I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty wicked. And I mean, if you can run those little, little six mils out of mag fed gun, I mean, how much, like, it's like shooting a two, two, three, there's like nothing to it. And you put it in MDT ACC chassis with like, that weighs like 25 pounds and like you barely even know that you fired. It's amazing. Awesome. I've got, I've got another question here from Doug. Uh, was there a correlation between the weight of the rounds and muzzle velocity? Are we talking in 22? That was uh, from about five minutes ago when you were talking about all the testing you guys were doing. Right. Okay. So basically, I don't know. It wasn't, wasn't part of the parameters of the, the testing that we did. Really the, the, parameters of the testing was simply to see if there was a larger percentage of shots that fell within the group uh, with the faster twist rate at longer distance. So I didn't get into testing. I, I mean, we, we ran lots of different types of ammo through it, but I wasn't looking to find the best ammo. Um, I wasn't looking to see if high velocity stuff shot better, although I've, I found some that didn't shoot very well at all in the faster twist. Um, so, I mean, in, uh, I didn't shoot any of the freedom bucket stuff that you can buy at Cabela's. It's like <laughs> 32 or 36 grain. The idea here was to like, see a group, not like have it all over hell's half mm -hmm. acre. So really I stuck to match ammunition that was 40 grains other than some Ely force, which is I think 42, 42 grains. I think it is. And I shot some of that. And other than that, uh, I didn't really, I didn't even really look at any correlations between anything other than the uh, the group size to the ammunition that we were shooting and the the velocity to the length of the barrel. So, sorry, Doug. I know that probably doesn't answer your question, but you know. Oh, we got a thumbs up from him, so I guess yeah, I guess okay, he's good. Cool. Yeah, I mean, in in twenty two ammo, there really isn't that much variation. I think the lightest that's sort of commercially available is around 36 and then the heaviest is the ely force is 42 and then there's some agila stuff that's subsonic that's 60 grains and whatever but that stuff doesn't super shoot sniper any, yeah doesn't shoot in any gun i've ever shot so who knows i don't know maybe that'd be the next uh, the next big thing come out well, with hey, uh... you know what? i do have that one in nine floating around so i would have to there you go how to heavy bullet with a fast twist that's you never know you yeah. never know. Anything's possible, right? You got to get you some cutting edge bullets and you can start hand loading for 22 rib fire. <laughs> Hell no. The reason, the reason I like shooting rim fire is because there is no reloading. Uh, not, no. I do not want to fidget around with, with reloading 22 ammo. It's just, no. Not I 100% agree with you. <laughs> Good. I mean, hey, if you want to, Fill your boots. Like, that's good on you. And I'm really interested in what you can get it to do. 
But just for me personally, I have zero desire. I want to like open my box of ammo on the day and pull out 10 rounds, put them in the magazine and shoot it and call it a day. I don't want to fart around trying to figure out, you know, I don't even want to measure rim thicknesses. I don't, I don't really care about any of that, to be honest with you. But I know there are guys that will. And that's cool. Whatever works, but not for me. Thanks anyway. But I'll make you a barrel for it. You want to play with cutting edge bullets and you need a fast twist? I'm your man. Ever the salesman. Yeah. <laughs> we'll figure it out together. You can do all the reloading, though. I'll just supply. Cool. All right. We're just coming up in an hour. Um, to do uh, final thoughts. Everybody? Mike? Swalling? I'm just got a question here again from, from Doug. Uh, I'll just read it out here. So still no Ruger 1022 takedown tactical 12 inch, 12 twist barrels with a threaded muzzle integrated 30 MOA barrel mounted rail. Yep. A lot, a lot of that is gibberish to me. It's I'll a very just, specific uh, request. Yeah. I'll just direct that straight at you, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. Doug's been on top of me for this thing for long. A part of the issue is, is that we don't have a mill that we can actually cut a lot of the stuff that, well, you know, I, honestly, I haven't seen a 1022 takedown, so I would have to see one in order to see whether it's something we can cut. But that's kind of been my my holdup so far is that we don't have a mill that we can cut the little slots and stuff in there that need to be need to be cut in it. So, and and again, it would be like uh, probably an eight hundred dollar barrel by the time it was all said and done uh, with all the machine time and programming and all the other shenanigans that go fit up and stuff that go in there it would it would be ridiculously expensive. And so what you're saying, if they've got the money, you've got the time. Quite honestly, <laughs> we, we don't have the time. Oh, I, well, that's yeah. good that you're busy. It is good. Yeah. A, yeah. Honestly, a busy shop is a good job. I always go and eat somewhere where the chef's really fat. Yeah. You know the food's good, right? That's you want to go somewhere where there's a little bit of weight. <laughs> Note to self. Yeah. <laughs> good. All right. Well, let's call that an episode then. Um, Thank you very much, uh, Ryan from uh, ibibarrels.com. That's ibibarrels.com in Chilliwack. Yep. Um, thank you, Michael Stone, for joining us again. Thank you, Mike, uh, for, for jumping in as our fourth today. I'm just going to give a quick shout out to our sponsors again. That would be uh, Cabela's Outdoor Funds. Thank you very much for your, for your patronage. Uh, Beretta, and also thank you for the swag, Beretta. Uh, Vortex Optics uh veteran owned and operated and then stitchville shooting range thank you very much for your continued support for our uh, our event little venture here Sweet. and i want to make sure our little viewers and listeners know to check out our podcast uh where we have the audio version of all this we can be found on all your major streaming hosting services at as a um down the barrel with the cusf that's down the barrel with the cusf look us up on your um on your apple uh, or whatever uh, next episode will be uh, in, in uh, 13 days and 23 hours from now. So we're doing every two weeks, uh, Mondays at uh, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, starting off the the podcast week here, we, we found out uh, when we're trying to find find a, a day for this. Um, we start the week with us, and then we've got um, first vocal playing guys on Tuesday, uh, Rimfire guys on Wednesday, and then uh, Slamfire Radio on Thursday. Make sure you guys check out those podcasts as Ooh. well. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's it's getting busy. Like I, I'm. Uh, this is this is growing so much in the in the little Thought. time I've been a part of it all. Anyways, I just wanted to say if uh, if somebody watches this and they have questions 
uh, like like Doug did there about what we can produce or or if we make something or they didn't understand something that was on the on the podcast or what the benefits would be that you can just shoot me an email. It's easy. It's Ryan R Y A N at ibibarrels.com like you see down below there that's my direct email and i'll get right back to you and i'll either give you the thumbs up or i'll tell you to take a hike probably not the hike part honestly do you know what customer service goes a long way it does yeah it's good and you know what i want to see people shooting all kinds of stuff so if you got something funky that you think uh that might be something let us know i'll give it a crack for the most part unless you're dope then no. <laughs> all right yeah all right cool uh that's a wrap okay uh gentlemen stick around i'm gonna play the extra uh extra here and then uh i'll talk to you guys in a bit roger that thank you again for tuning in we meet again on the next podcast